Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode number 21. Hello, and welcome to today's episode. I recorded today's show with Siegfried while staying on a friend's ranch in Levita, Colorado. We parked our RV right on his property. He had hookups and water and everything. And while I was recording this episode, I was looking out at a 13,000-foot mountain peak called West Spanish Peak, just outside Colorado Springs. Absolutely gorgeous. But other than the view, the best part was that I was able to record this episode from our RV using our new unlimited plan on our Verizon jetpack. Yes, the unlimited plan from Verizon, and we I've been talking about this on a lot of recent episodes because I've discovered a lot of RVers have this unlimited plan from Verizon, something that I gave up right when Alyssa and I got married because we decided to do the responsible thing and get on our own phone bills and get off our parents, and I one of the things I gave up was an unlimited plan from Verizon in order to do that, but in episode number nine, I talked with Technomadia and they have the go-to internet blog for a lot of RVers, and they have a lot of other great resources. And through a contact I found in their mobile internet community, I was able to get my hands on one of these unlimited plans from Verizon for a little under $50 a month. And we were kind of weary of doing it at first, uh, just finding a kind of quote-unquote black market unlimited Verizon plan because it kind of seems like you're doing a little bit of a sketchy drug deal at first, uh, you know, like renting this phone line from somebody. I don't know who they are. But hands down, it's been one of the best decisions we've made. I'm not getting paid or anything, or I don't get a commission from talking about this on the podcast, but I just think it's, I get giddy over the fact that I'm recording podcasts in national parks on down dirt roads, and I'm getting 4G internet, and I'm able to do that. And if you're somebody who, who you're working from the road and you're trying to build a business uh, while you're traveling, this is a no-brainer, absolutely 100% worth it. I'll link up to where you can learn more about that in the show notes. On this podcast episode. Today on the show, I sat down to talk with a guy named Siegfried. Siegfried was a software developer for over 20 years, made over $100,000 each year, a really good living, and then decided he had had enough with office politics and sitting inside an office all day. And towards the end of last year, Sig and his wife hit the road in their Airstream and decided to try out the RV lifestyle full time. They sold their house, bought an Airstream and a truck free and clear with no debt and hit the road. Sig and I met each other last fall on a Google Hangout from the Make Money in RV Facebook group. And he told me he was planning on building a client-based business from the road, doing the same kind of work he's been doing for the past two decades. But ultimately, he decided not to go down the software development route anymore. He kind of got tired of it. He said that for most of his life, he's done the quote-unquote responsible thing. He's made money, had a good job, saved up, and for the first time, he wanted to be a little reckless and try to pursue something different, a different craft that made him more happy. And at the moment, that's his blog at trailandhitch.com and writing content for video games. It's been a little over six months since Sig hit the road, and by this point, he hoped to have more passive income flowing in from his blog while traveling, but he hasn't made it there yet. Plus, because he was successful in his software career and sold off all the shares he had accrued while working for various companies, he ended up owing over thirty grand in taxes, which took a huge hit on the piggy bank that they had set aside that he believed would last them for at least a year, even if they brought in no money. And a lot of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast have somewhat figured out the whole RV entrepreneur thing, or at least to a certain extent, and have already had some form of successful small business they're running from the road. You know, they have an income stream, they figured out, they're, maybe they're trying to scale it, 
or whatever. But with Sig, he's not there yet. And in this podcast, he's not going to be able to provide you this roadmap that he's used to actually grow his business. He's currently in the trenches of building that business. And I decided to interview Sig before he's quote unquote made it as an RV entrepreneur because it paints a more realistic edge to some of the conversations we've had on this podcast. Sometimes when you're talking with people who have already started a successful business, they tend to paint a rosy picture that seems too good to be true. But when you're talking to someone who's currently working to make it happen, it's real. It's in the moment. They are figuring stuff out. The pain of the setbacks are raw and haven't quite healed up yet. There's a little bit more doubt to what they're doing and they're still figuring it all out. And that's that's all part of the process of starting a new business, starting anything new. And it's something that we all have to face. And I love having this real honest conversation with Siegfried because we're both working to build up this remote business. And we've been on the road a little bit longer, but being able to have these open and honest conversations about these struggles is helpful because anybody who's listening to this can empathize and relate. If you're out there working to start some kind of business or make it happen while you're out traveling, you realize that no, it's not all easy. And you know we're gonna talk about these really cool things like going out and exploring and seeing beautiful places across the country but sometimes it's freaking hard and sometimes you have to shell out and pay a lot of money in taxes that you're not expecting to and there's going to be setbacks and you're going to uh, have to spend longer to bring in income than you expected but that's part of the process and I think hearing Sig's story and how he's went about it can be encouraging for anybody who's listening so without further ado let's get into today's show with Siegfried. We are live. What's up Sig? Not too much, man. Uh, doing a podcast. Happy to be on your show, Heath. Do you do you go by Siegfried or just Sig? Well, let's see. My name is Siegfried, and I'm happy <laughs> to respond to that uh, because that can be a challenge for people. It's uh, multi-syllable. Sig works pretty well, so I'm happy to go by that. Of course, on our website, I'm Hitch of TrailandHitch.com, but uh, uh, Sig is what I usually go by. Even sometimes on the blog, I have to correct that occasionally. I forget my alter ego. It's a cool slang. Uh, not it's not slang. I'm sorry, that's the wrong. It's just a cool nickname. I think it's cool and sick. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I just like it. Yeah, it's it's nice and easy and it's familiar. Yeah. So you guys have been traveling in your airstream uh, around the country for the past six months. Y'all are in Idaho right now. What's your story? Well, let's see. I am not a, a traveler. When I was a kid, I actually took a thing, uh, one of those surveys where you try to figure out what sort of profession you're supposed to have. And my parents used to call me Mr. 2% because when it came to outdoor activities, I scored 2%, which was epically low. Normally, wow. you know, baselines around in 30. So I'm kind of a cave dweller and I'm a computer guy. And I spent about 20 years as a software developer creating software, kind of coming up in the age where Every mom-and-pop business started to use computers. Before that, it was only big companies. So I cut my teeth in the age when that industry was growing and spent about 20 years doing that and was pretty happy with it, although moving in on getting kind of burnt out. And uh, about a year ago, I was between jobs, and I was looking for work. I kept showing up to interviews, and I like doing interviews. And they always ask you the question, where do you see yourself in three years, and five years? They want to kind of have an idea of what your career path is. And I would give them – it was a pretty standard answer. I would tailor it to the company I was at and the kind of work that I was applying for and understanding how the, you know, the systems work of moving from one job to the next. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, where I want to be in five years is not here. <laughs> I don't want to be sitting at a desk. I don't want to be programming. I don't want to be doing the usual corporate stuff that I've been doing for 20 years. I want to do something fun, and I want to work for myself, and I want to be creating content and ideas and businesses that belong to me and that I get the profit from. Uh, and I don't want to be making 
quite so many compromises. You always have to make compromises in life, but I wanted to make less. But I didn't tell him that uh, because eh, it doesn't really go very well in most job interviews that you don't want to be working for them in a certain period of time. <laughs> Even in the computer biz, which is notoriously mercenary, right? Uh, so I was talking about that and I was having a little trouble in my job search because uh, I tend to be very loyal and I go to a place and I stay there for a long time. And that's a little bad in that business because your skills get a little stale and you get you know, pigeonholed into certain technologies, it becomes a little hard to move around in the marketplace. Because people are always looking for the, do you have three years of experience in the thing that just came out last year? Uh, no, I don't. You know, that's, that's the way that business can be. So I was talking to my wife and I said, uh, hey, you know that travel thing we talked about before? And the travel thing was my wife really likes, wanted to get out and travel. She wants to see national parks. She wants to see other countries. And it's always been rather difficult because it's kind of expensive and you're tied down to your work and we've got cats and we've got a big house and you've got expensive payments and there's a lot of things that make it difficult. But I always felt if you really want to travel, if you really want to get out and see things, the way to do it is to sell your house, sell your stuff, uh, bring the cats with you if you, if you have to and uh, get out there and do it and live on the road because there's a huge number of expenses, especially living in a city like Seattle, about all those routes that you have tied down there. And a lot of logistics you have to deal with and a lot of challenges. But if you get rid of all that, uh, living on the road is not more expensive than having a house or an apartment. In fact, it's generally a lot cheaper depending on how you do it if you're not staying at expensive resort hotels and the like. So, uh, you know, we had talked about that but hadn't really seriously considered it. But at this point, I was feeling antsy. You might call it a midlife crisis, although it didn't feel like a crisis, just an urge. And I said, hey, you want to do that? And she said, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm dead serious. And our eyes lit up and there was a little electricity there and we're <laughs> very excited about this prospect. And we spent a week or two uh, thinking about it near constantly and then, uh, you know, kind of getting closer and closer to that, that edge. And I, I tend to move pretty fast when I make a decision on something. And, and one time we just sat down and I said, I think I'm ready to make a commitment. Let's, let's pledge together that we're going to live this life of adventure. We're going to go on the road. We're going to do this thing and nothing's going to stop us. And so I came up with a little pledge. We took the pledge and, and then we were off to the races and we sold our house two months later, bought the RV and hit the road. Uh, so once, once we made the decision, even when we just talked about the idea, we kind of rocketed out the gate. I think we were Good and ready, as it you know, as the case may be. So from there, we uh, bought an Airstream because my wife loves kind of high quality products, and Airstreams are near the top end of the trailer world. So we got one of those, and uh, I decided that I wanted to go free and clear. So we sold our house. Uh, you know, some people were like, eh, "Why don't you rent it?" Well, because again, there's that tying me down somewhere, limiting options, financial obligations. I just wanted it as clean as possible. So I sold my house, took the money, paid off all my debts. Uh, bought the trailer free and clear, bought a truck free and clear, uh, bought uh, you know a warranty on things and insurance so that I wouldn't have to worry about a lot of financial things. And we just rolled out of town uh, with uh, money in the bank and uh, some vague plans on how we can form an income. My goal was to figure out how we can live from anywhere, right? Anywhere in the world at any time. That's my goal. Haven't quite sorted out how we're going to do that yet, but uh, that's the plan. Yeah, I, I love that you're still in the phase of figuring it out because a lot of the people that I've had on this podcast are people who have maybe kind of figured it out or they're working towards it and you know they've 
been able to start generating income or whatever. But the fact that you're still in that phase of figuring it out is, is kind of nice because you don't you can't look back on it and say like, oh, yeah, it was all easy and it was all rosy because you're actually <laughs> in all the trenches right now. But I have a question. Yeah. So whenever you you brought it up to your boss and you were kind of I found that these things, they kind of they start stirring inside you maybe while you're sitting at your desk and kind of monotonous or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's different for everyone, but like what was happening that you started having these thoughts? Because it's not like you just wake up one day like, yep, today's the day I'm going to b- quit my job and buy an RV and travel. It's usually like there's a lot of subtle things happening in the background that are kind of all working towards, I just want something different. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I told myself initially that what I really didn't like was company politics. My history at work is I work very hard. I care a lot about what I'm trying to achieve. And I quickly work my way up from regular programmer guy into kind of middle management. And because people are like, oh, Sig works really hard. He really cares about his work and he's good with people. So we'll put him in charge of some people. But then comes the trouble because I tend to be like, oh, we need to change this. So we need to change this, which was great when I was kind of at the low level. But as soon as I want to change what my boss is doing and thinks is the best thing, that's things get a little rougher at that point. And I'm not very good at playing company politics. I just kind of speak my mind. I wear my heart on my sleeve and, uh, you know, say things or, you know, maybe initiate some project that someone thinks undermines their authority or respect or whatever it happens to be. And and then I get into some trouble. So I don't like that. That pattern repeated itself a few times in my career. And uh, I was getting really tired of it. And also, there are people who have very successful careers because they prioritize their career. And that comes first. And I prioritize my work before my career, which isn't always wise, but it's how I like to live and makes me happy. What do you you mean by that? that? Well, I mean, if when I'm working on a project, I, you know, I really kind of like being a middle manager. I will promote my employees. I will say, this guy did a wonderful job. The success of our project is because of him. You should promote him uh, instead of the success of the project is all because of me and my genius organizing or whatever it happens to be. Uh, so I try to point to other people and move them up the ladder and advance their careers because it makes me feel really good. And uh, when I don't, you know, a common tactic in the office is to make yourself look good, you make other people look bad. And I refuse to do that. I try to say nice things about everybody and work with everyone, but there are other people who don't do that. And they will try to make you look bad so that uh, their career advances itself. And can't really stand that. Uh, just, <laughs> I don't like that game. Like Microsoft really operates on that system. I didn't work there, but I knew a lot of people that did. And I was in Seattle where a lot of people had been trained in the Microsoft culture where everybody in the department gets a numerical rating that is assigned by your peers and your boss. And if you're at the bottom, you get chucked. And if you're at the top, you get promoted. So promoting, uh, you know, giving other people low ratings and getting them low ratings by perception is one of the ways that you get ahead. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough world. I, I just – I wasn't suited for it in that it sense. It sounds miserable. It is kind of miserable. I mean being a programmer is a wonderful profession, but – I didn't mean being a program. I, I just meant that atmosphere, yeah. Yeah, that culture. And it, it's not universal, but it's very common. Uh, and like I said, especially in Seattle because people are trained at Microsoft and then they come out into other smaller companies that I tended to work in. Um, so yeah, it's – that's kind of difficult, and, and that was grating on me. But you know, when I was finished with it and when I, we started to get on the road, initially I was going to do software development myself, and I realized that I had just come to a certain amount of fatigue as a software developer, as a programmer. I had never quite been 
uh, wholehearted in it. It wasn't what I did on all my weekends. Like some developers I know, I didn't have a, a love for it exactly. I was just good at it and liked it. Uh, but after 20 years, I was a little little tired of it. And I realized I didn't know this while I was working. But afterwards, I started to realize, eh, I don't really want to make more software right now. Maybe later. But at the moment, I need a break from it. Uh, I need to kind of uh, see it with fresh eyes again. There's just certain aspects of it that are very difficult. The, the fundamentals I love, the fact that you have to learn new skills and new software platforms every year, sometimes twice a year. You know, it's a constant drive to learn new tools that essentially do some of the same things but in a shinier way. And uh, it feels a little like you're on a tre treadmill sometimes. And I think I just wanted to get off of that for a bit. Yeah. When we first talked was last September, we were on a Google Hangout with a, with a few other people from the Facebook group. And you were saying you were like, yeah, I'm go I'm planning on actually doing software development from the road. Yep. So at that point, you were still you still had that plan to be working and doing some type of software sales. I mean, not software sales, software development from the road, right? That's right. Yeah, I had a few projects. I was working on different projects and tr trying to figure out what technologies I was going to use. So, like I said, I, you know, I'd been in a place and we use certain technologies. They're not real good for individual developers. And and usually, as an individual dev, you're going to want to work on apps. And I actually have never really worked on those. So there's a big learning curve, and as I went, um, you know, we had the blog, and the blog was going to be my wife's business, Anne, and we, I just found myself wanting to write blog articles and work on the blog and uh, uh, learn about RVing and share that knowledge with other people, and that's what I found a passion for. So eventually, I decided, you know what, I am terrible right now as a software developer. I'm not doing anything because I don't really want to, and I did this journey partly to be free and to follow my dreams. So that's what I did. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I did a lot of acting. I like to perform for people. It's just kind of my innate urge to amuse folk. And a lot of people, most of my high school buddies, thought I was going to be an actor. But I kind of grew up poor, and I really didn't want to be poor. And I knew acting was a really tough gig. So I decided to try and go for something more practical, get a college degree, do some kind of technical work. It ended up being computer programming. And... Uh, you know, and I think it was a good decision. I, I built a pretty good nest egg for myself, which has enabled me to buy an expensive trailer free and clear and to go debt free and go out on the road. So it's kind of time to pay myself back for that decision to be practical by not being very practical for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so the luxury to do it, which is nice. I know some people don't, and that's, that's a lot more difficult, but um, I'm going to cash in some of my chips. You said on your website, and I love this quote, I think there's a time in life to be practical and other times to follow your dreams. I spent a, a good long time being practical, and I'm of a mind to roll the dice on creativity and see what happens. Yeah, that's right. I love uh, that. Yeah, out there rolling the dice. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. What I've really enjoyed about this podcast is just every single person has a different story for why they transition on the road and also how they transition on the road and just different philosophies on what is the best way. Should you you know, save up for a long period of time and then give yourself this runway to go out and figure it out just like what you're doing or, you know, or is there more of like a, a leap? And I think it all, it's all, it all depends on the person, you know, everyone's going to be different. Like you said, you're a very practical person. And for you, it made sense to go out, work really hard for a number of years and then just figure out this isn't what you want to do. Um, but you could have easily also waited another 20 something years uh, and not been super happy in what you were doing. So it's, it's nice that yeah. you were able to acknowledge the fact that, this isn't what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think everyone has to find their own path, and it starts with what your desires are, and then what obstacles you've got, and then how you're going to deal with them. And sometimes 
Sometimes you tackle them head on and fight through them. And sometimes it's better to kind of sidestep and go around. I've always, it's strange. I, I, I don't know. My life is a mix of planning and just taking opportunities as they come. I don't usually plan a long ways ahead. Yet my work, you know, being a software developer, you have to do a lot of planning and, and kind of detail analysis of things. But in life, I, I tend to be a little more reactive and a little more take as it comes, bend like the willow uh, sort of a thing, I guess. So, yeah, you just find yourself at a moment in life and try to follow those instincts. I guess don't, don't get stuck with yourself. You're going to change over time and your needs are going to change over time. One of the big things about going on the road that I was excited about is I knew I would learn new things about myself. I knew that when I started my journey and whenever my journey ends, I'm going to go through some transformations and I will both change and I will learn things about myself that I didn't know because I hadn't been challenged in that way before or hadn't had certain kinds of experiences. And I was really excited and part of my blog is an exploration of what happens to me and my thinking as time goes on. I had a question I wanted to ask you, but now I'm just totally drawing a blank. Want to talk about blogging a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So I, did, I had something else I want to talk to you. So you're talking about being flexible and figuring out what happens. I want to talk before we get into talking about your more about your blog and things like that. Uh, you said that you guys kind of hit a bump in the road and the fact that you guys had to pay a ton out in income taxes. So oh, yeah. I just want to kind of hear about that experience that you had because I I know that we got hit by income taxes too, just being uh, self-employed and out on the road and had to pay out a lot more. Uh, and I think it's just, it's nice to be able to paint a realistic picture for people that, you know, sometimes you have to pay stuff comes up just like when you're stationary. So um, yeah. yeah, what happened? Well, uh, what happened to me, it wasn't self-employment tax. That's something I think anyone who wants to start their own business needs to understand with great detail because it's very different than paying taxes as a person working a regular job. But for us, what happened was, uh, as I said, to, to finance this journey and to buy a new truck and to buy a trailer, we sold a lot of things. I sold my house for starters and that was a, a the lion's share of the money. And that's not so bad for tax purposes so long as your house is less than $500,000. That's not too bad. I also sold stock in the tech companies that I had accumulated over the years. Uh, and that was specifically to buy the truck and to get initial expenses to sell the house because it kind of takes money to sell a house. So, so I sold a lot of stock and they call that capital gains. And much of that stock I had acquired over the last two, three years. And those are called short-term capital gains. And you pay a hefty price tag. Plus, as a software developer with 20 years of experience, I was making a six-figure income. So that year, I had had a six-figure income, and then I went and sold a bunch of stocks and sold a lot of other uh, items and property. And so I had a pretty mammoth income. And a lot of that, because I hadn't had experience selling capital gains before, I had not paid taxes on at the time of the sale, which you should do. Uh, but I was not well-informed enough to know that. I knew I had a tax liability out there, and so I did have a fair amount of money in savings after buying all our stuff and getting on the road. But still, in your mind, when that money is sitting in the account, you don't always think of it as not your money. And when it came time to do my taxes, and I usually do my own taxes, a lot of experience in that over the years, I sat down and did the calculations while we were at a, at a park uh, lobby, and uh, I turned to my wife and I said, okay, I'm going to show you something, and you need to be prepared <laughs> for 
the massive scale of what you're about to see. And I showed her my calculations, and we owed $30,000, which is wow. a pretty mammoth sum. I mean, now, you know, we paid a lot for our trailer and the truck and all that. So we'd been dealing with some big sums that year already. But that was definitely a shock, and it was the lion's share of what I had already put into my savings account. And, uh, you know, we were looking at a nice year's worth of money. If we didn't earn a dime, uh, we could sail around for a year, and that changed that significantly. Uh, either I had to dig into deeper savings in order to keep going, or we'd have to make money uh, a little more in a hurry than we had planned before. So that was a shock, and we spent some time processing uh, we did what my wife likes to call a pity party. <laughs> Go get some ice cream. We bemoan how difficult life is for a short period of time. And then, you know, we figure out a plan how to deal with things. And, you know, fortunately, I had the money to pay. It would have been a disaster if I didn't. Uh, so fortunately, while I'm not a careful planner, I do have a, a thought to what dangers are out there. And I try to leave room to deal with them. And so I did have room to pay $30,000 to the IRS. So we just swallowed it. And went and paid it pretty much that day, made the arrangements to make the transfer. And then it was up to us to kind of deal with how we were going to cope with the aftermath of that. And, you know, like I said, I had the money. I, I felt like it was a hardship, but I was so fortunate to be able to deal with it without a major crisis. So um, while it took a certain emotional toll, in reality, it was something we could cope with. And I, I was very thankful for that. That's crazy. I mean, we had to pay 4000 and I was a little upset by that. So 30000 is just... That's crazy. So what is it – do you feel like that lit a fire under your butt to make things work and figure out what does this remote income look like? A little bit. I, I wish it did more than it did. Uh, you know, <laughs> Did it make I, you I contemplate really... going to get another software sales job? Not, I keep wanting to say sales. I used to do software sales. Did, oh, it, make yeah, you, did it make you want to go out and just get another gig from the you know doing software? No, not really. Uh, um, I mean, I may do that someday. Like I said, I, I need a break and I may come back to it with kind of fresh eyes. But no, you know, all the time we kind of have a baseline plan. I was listening to your uh, Technomadia uh, interview. And as they said, the worst is because it's a low cost lifestyle that you live. And I own everything free and clear. I could go work a minimum wage job and pay for lodging in an RV park and food and my insurance. So there is no epic disaster financial disaster that can happen to me. The worst is I have to stop somewhere and work. And I can work at almost any job and make enough money to support myself. So in a way, that is a blessing because it's wonderful to have that security. And it is a curse because it fails to drive me <laughs> to a panic to work uh, extra, extra hard at trying to find a good way to make money. So I don't know. I, I often struggle with that difficulty. That is one of the challenges of myself is I have a gift of confidence, and that confidence can be a bit of a curse. I don't worry. That's my wife's job. She worries very well. And so she helps drive me and remind me that I, I need to stay on task uh, with making money. So Alyssa and I are pretty similar on that. She's like, yeah. you haven't invoiced these clients that we worked with. I mean, we need to make that money. We already did the work. You need to invoice them. I, oh, yeah, I guess I should do that. Yes, absolutely. I'll say I think that's an important point. You know, when you go out on the road, uh, you need to know – who you've got with you, right? And uh, I think if you're going solo, that is the hardest thing because anytime you're solo, you're 100% reliant on yourself. And I think that's the greatest challenge. Uh, when you're married or if you have a girlfriend or a partner, uh, you've got a partner and, and there's going to be strengths that they have that you're going to offset your weaknesses. And uh, that's going to be a big advantage for you, especially if you think of it that way and you think about what your relative strengths and weaknesses are. 
and divide up the responsibilities in a way that that meets your strengths. And if you have kids, they can help too. I mean, with motivation or uh, with ideas. I, I think you know everybody who's in your crew uh, has got to be a part of the team, and and that can be a huge asset. And even people you know that are not with you, that you know, I try really hard to keep my connections with my friends that I had and with businesses and make new ones as I go around because every connection you make is a possible resource and a possible opportunity. So, you know, I think that's really critical. You were making over $100,000 working uh, in software before you guys hit the road. I was not making that much money. I was making an entry-level job. Was it, do you think it was, was it more difficult to walk away from that much secured money? And has there been any trade-offs for you know, have you regretted it so far? I mean, you're out there. It's been six months. You guys have seen a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you mentioned on your blog, you have you guys haven't started actually generating any inc- any income online, but you're working towards it. But that's okay. I mean, just like if you're starting a company, you're you're trying to get a blog that's profitable. Um, and so you're you know, there's a lot of companies that have you know their pre product, and so it just makes sense that anytime you start something new, there's a period of transition. But have you had any regrets about transitioning from that job to where you guys are now? Yeah, I have not had one. So, <laughs> I, you know, the strange thing with my career is I was, like I said, I was never very career motivated. I just kind of work hard. And and in software, you bounce around from job to job. And, and often you're the new guy and you're very exciting. And, and so the more you change careers, usually the better your income is, strangely enough. Uh, sticking with one company, which I tended to do, is actually bad for your income. Uh, but at any rate, um, no, because I'm not a very money-driven person. I very rarely asked for a raise. I would generally get a raise by changing companies. Uh, and so that worked well for me for whatever reason. Uh, they're like, oh, you have a lot of experience. We need you. Here's a bunch of money. And you're like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Great. I'm happy to have a <laughs> bunch of money now. Uh, so I never fought hard for my salary, which, again, I feel very lucky. And I recommend people go into software development because it is a good career uh, money-wise. And for many other reasons too. But uh, it, it didn't drive me. So I've never wanted to be rich. I've only ever wanted to not be poor. I kind of grew up poor and I'd seen the pain and the difficulties of just the insecurity of not knowing what happens when your car breaks down or when the landlord raises the rent or something else happens. Uh, and so I fought hard to avoid that. And like I said, I, I have enough savings and because we own everything and, you know, we own a lot of kind of nice stuff. I can maintain a very nice lifestyle on a very low income. So, um, like I said, I, theoretically, I could work minimum wage and maintain what I have. And what I have is wonderful. I'm not a creature of great ambition, which is a difficulty as an entrepreneur, but I think is a fantastically lovely thing in life <laughs> because I'm almost always happy with what I have and where I'm at and what I'm doing. And, uh, that kind of contentment is a great blessing, but it is a challenge as an entrepreneur because I've noticed that many of the most successful people are, in a way, never satisfied with what they've got. They're always fighting for one more step up the ladder, and um, that is great for achieving more and more success. It's not great for achieving contentment and happiness, so I think there's a balance to be struck. Uh, I often found you know, if you really want to do well in an entrepreneurial venture, any kind of project, it's good to have a blend of different people. And it's great to have a person who is endlessly ambitious. And it's great to have a person who is very practical. And it's great to have some people who work incredibly hard. And it's great to have some people who are very enthusiastic and will support everyone no matter what. Uh, those are kind of, I think, the key elements. If you can combine all those in one person, you have, you know, 
super person. Uh, and there are a few of those folks out there. I'm not one of those guys, but I, I can say that for me, my biggest struggle has been enjoying, and it sounds crazy, but just enjoying the process of, Hey, we're out on the road, we're traveling yeah. And, uh, you know, we're doing what we wanted to be doing a couple years ago whenever we quit our jobs and hit the road. And I have to constantly check myself and almost give myself permission to be happy, which sounds so stupid because, you know, you should be happy. You're traveling around the country. You're in an RV. You're flexible. You're remote. You're not working for anybody else. And you're doing it with your wife. And, and it's really, really cool. Uh, but I know for me personally, that's a big struggle that I have is just allowing myself to be happy and not wanting more or comparing myself to this other guy or this other person that I should be there uh, kind of thing. And yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I've observed a great many people who are successful at running their business have that challenge. Uh, and when I took some business classes before I went out on the road to kind of prepare myself for the basics of running a business and understanding the taxes and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, they warned me, they're like, well, you're going to have to set aside time, some personal time for yourself because you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to work all day and all night. And, uh, it's really important. It's really hard to do, but you're going to have to set aside some time. And I thought to myself, that's, that's not going to be very hard for me. Yeah. (laughs) And it's good to good at setting aside time for myself and and enjoying (laughs) The moment. Uh, that is my specialty. Uh, I have the other challenge, which is when I could be enjoying myself, but I should be working to get down and really buckle down and do it. I'm very productive when I do work. I, I am lucky that way. Um, but uh, sometimes I'm easily distracted and uh, I'm interested in a thousand things. So it's hard to stay on target. Uh, it's my, my little slogan from Star Wars. Stay on target. Stay on target. (laughs) Let's talk about what you would like to be doing full time. You've been blogging. I know that I'm going to mix up the words. Tell me the name of your blog again. It's uh, trailandhitch.com. Trailandhitch.com. So you're blogging. You're cranking out like a blog a day. And you're kind of in the early stages of your blog, a travel blog. You'd love to be able to monetize it. So in an ideal world, what are you doing in another year or two? Right. It's like that interview question at work. Uh, <laughs> so what do you see Which yourself? is like the worst question. By the way, whenever I, I had to answer that, it is a good question, but it's also I don't. It's also unfair of me to probably be asking you that because I don't know where the heck I'm going to be in a year to two years. I don't know where I'll be, what I'll be doing. I can yeah. only imagine. And so yeah. I... We, Maybe maybe if I just said in ideal in an ideal world, what kind of work would you like to be doing in a year or two? What kind of income? Where would your income be coming in from? What does your perfect day look like? Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. I think the thing is, you never know where you're going to end up, but you got to have a goal if you're going to reach anywhere, right? So, so what am I shooting for? I would like to be a writer in the sense that I would like to write both uh, fiction. And nonfiction books, and I also am a avid gamer, like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And I like to write material for those games as well. So I would like to have a lifestyle where I spend a good deal of my time writing professionally, especially writing work that I own and make residual income on over time. I've had a few experiences where I've written some games and watched the checks kind of roll in over the years. Not huge sums of money. But man, it is wonderful to get a check when you are not doing anything. It's the best. It's the best. It is fantastic. So I want that to be part of my income. I don't necessarily need that to be all of my income, but I want it to be a certain part of it because it gives you a lot of freedom. Uh, you do have to be working all the time, but it's it's a delayed payment kind of a system, and I, I like that. 
Um, the other part of it is I really do like running a business. I, I found that it's difficult for me to start a business. I have a little trouble with that initiative. But one of the things I always enjoyed in software development was managing people and organizing the process of making money. It seems kind of strange, but um, I just like that environment. So I would eventually like to own a business or two that are relatively small, not huge, but maybe have two or three remote employees that uh, you know are, are involved in some kind of activity that that immediately solves people's needs because – the other thing I really like to do is I like to serve people. Uh, that's kind of another hallmark of my career is I like making people happy and giving them something that makes them happy. So uh, I want to be involved in something like that. And um, you know, I suppose eventually uh, if I get into late retirement, I'd like to just write and I'd sell off those businesses or give them to the people who work in them or something. But I think in the, in the medium term, it's important that I – come up with something along those lines. And I thought it was going to be software development, but I think it might end up being something else. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Researching a lot of things. Uh, like right now, I'm researching uh, why is Park Wi-Fi so bad and what could I do to make it better? Uh, since that seems to be a problem that needs a solution. So I'm just researching that at this point, uh, trying to learn how that works. Is it a kind of a business I could run or not? So I'm, st I'm still looking around, trying to find something. Um, we'll see how it goes, but that's the kind of thing I want to do. That's great. So there, there are actually some companies out there who are trying to solve RV park Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, I don't know any off the top of my head, but I've been, uh, in conversations with some investors in Austin, uh, recently, and they work closely with the companies doing that. So there are people out there who acknowledge oh, yeah. that this is an issue, um, other yeah, and I think there's room in that market because the, the ability to deliver it is relatively new and there's a lot of RV parks. So that's, I think, where it's at right now. There's definitely some people who have those solutions. And it's a question of whether they can get them out there at prices that park owners can afford and, uh, and can reach all the people who need it. Well, we'll see. Yeah. But so, I have a lot to learn. Just started researching that. So. so what would you say is probably is some of the bigger obstacles facing you before you guys can get a livable income? And, I mean, what kind of time frame would you like to be bringing in uh, income either from your game that you're the code that you're writing for the game or uh, blogs that you're writing on your website. Yeah, I, I, the fundamental challenge is usually myself. Uh, <laughs> second challenge is, is is finding the audience that finding that need that you're going to fill. Uh, and I guess I haven't really done that yet. You know, we've got the blog and we're having some success with people googling Airstream terms. So I'm looking at taking the blog and uh, taking some of the articles and really aiming them at Airstream uh, enthusiasts and people looking to buy Airstreams. Uh, so getting some kind of specialization there, which uh, the general working for a blog is you, you find some need, you find a way to fill it, you find some pillar content that's going to bring people in to get to that need that they're going to give you some money for. And um, I, I was never really sure what that was going to be. And the blog is starting to tell me, Airstream people, that's, that's what there isn't sufficient competition for or people are coming in through Google to our site for. So I think that's, that's kind of the direction we're going to go. What um, kind of, how do you feel about building software? Um, it, do you feel like software is more tangible? And I know it's not literally tangible. You can't touch it, but do you feel like software is more tangible than people coming to your website and downloading guides or articles or things like that and being informed? How is that? What is the difference that you feel for producing one versus the other? I, I think it's pretty similar in many ways. Uh, software is information. It's interactive information is where a booklet is 
less interactive information. You can make it interactive by updating it, I suppose. But really, software is information that reacts to what you do, right? And um, so you can think of it as, as, a, as a crazy reactive book that I want to know this thing, and then it delivers that information to you or sends that information somewhere and somebody acts on it. So there is a fundamental similarity. Of course, complexity is incredibly different. It is very challenging to write software by yourself. It has gotten more and more complicated over the years. It is possible to write apps yourself, of course, but there are a lot of challenges to it. And, and I, honestly, I find them a little daunting and a little hard because I've worked with, maybe it's because I've worked with teams for so long. That's uh, something of a challenge I've been a little afraid to tackle in some ways. Uh, as where writing is, in many ways, a fundamentally individual activity. And so that's one of the reasons I've started to hone in on really wanting to do that because I can control it myself and I can take the inputs, the outputs, and do them all myself in a fair, fairly realistic way. There's definitely an allure to be able to uh, write content that A, helps people and you enjoy writing. And so you have this thing that you wrote down that can help people and that kind of lives on for forever, really, yeah. uh, as long as the you know, your website is up hosted online or whatever. Um, and so, and and also when it comes to just being able to travel, it's probably the most flexible thing. I mean, cause you have, you have your laptop and you can just travel and write from anywhere, but there is that learning curve of trying to figure out how the heck do I monetize this? And that's something we talked about on the blog. Cause a lot of people, there's a million travel blogs and there's a ton of RV blogs, but how are you actually going to get to that point where you're bringing in revenue? And I think a lot of people leave with this kind of lofty expectation that they can oh, write yeah. some affiliate posts and then they're bringing in lots of dough. Uh, did you have <laughs> some of those expectations that you would, you would have monetized before this point, even though it's been, I guess, just six months? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what they were. Like I couldn't say I was expecting to make this much money. Um, but I definitely expected to get further in monetizing the blog than I did in the time I have. At the same time, I recognize there are some things I haven't done that if I was really serious about it, that I should do. Uh, but there is always the question well, what of... What would those things be? Uh, I spend more time writing the blog than promoting the blog. And I think anyone who has had success with a blog will tell you promoting the blog is generally more important than writing the blog in terms of how much time and effort you invest. See, I would, dis- uh, I would, a, I would disagree know. with that. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, so my... My mentality on a good day for my blog is that it's a place for me to hone my craft of writing. Uh, on a bad mm-hmm. day, I'm checking metrics of how many people signed up for my email list and how many people <laughs> visited my blog just yeah. because I'm human and I give in to those weaknesses and their vanity metrics. But on a good day, it's a place where I can hone the craft and write and, and things like that. And so I've actually – people have told me that I should be more blatantly promoting. Like I don't – Maybe I don't tweet every one of them or post as much as I could. I have the yeah. Facebook group, Make Money in RV. There's like 1,600 people in there. And uh, I only share a few of the blogs that I feel like are super, super relevant. Uh, whereas then I could probably you know, really promote that a lot because I started the group. I could, I could do whatever I want. But I don't know. There's a sense of just – I don't want to be – you never want to be that slimy guy who's just oh, always yeah. self-promotion. I feel like developing community will ultimately reward you. And if you work on becoming better and better and better – you know, Google will also reward your writing because you're really good and people are reading your stuff. So, yeah, I, I think we're both the kind of people that, um, while we may see the opportunity to take the, the easy road or the, the kind of the cheap shot, oh, we can't do it, right? Like, I just can't bring myself to make a misleading headline that I know will be clickbait for days. I could write those if I wanted to, 
but I won't do it. Right? I just I can't live with myself if I do that. And this whole journey is about wanting to be the person I want to be. <laughs> Right. So uh, I got to take kind of the slow road. And yeah, right now for the blog, I, you know, we write like crazy. I write about 2000 words a day. Not all of it goes on trail and hitch.com. Actually, I have three blogs going at the moment. Lord help me. Oh, wow. Um, trail and hitch is the one that I try to make money on right now. I've got a gaming blog called Downey Albear Designs. I think it's downeyalbear.com. And then I've got my own like SiegfriedTrent.com, which is my personal, I write about politics and philosophy or just whatever comes to mind that I don't think people on the other blogs want to hear about. So that's uh, so I write a lot of stuff, and I'm trying to write a novel. And uh, as usual, doing a few too many things at one time. But yeah, I, I, I suffer agree from that, that as well. Yeah, practice makes perfect. The more you write, the better. And I will say, you know, uh, we've got some things on our blog. I've got this SEO software that also does writing analysis. And that's been a lovely feature. It really tells me, Hey, you're being a little too wordy here for the average <laughs> reader. And I ignore it a little bit because my style is my style, but also it's it's good to it's good to know be aware, right? That hey, if I wanted to reach a wider audience or if this is aimed at kids, I should tone it down a little. Self-awareness I think is always great. Do you want some do you want some feedback from me about your Yeah, blog? sure. So yeah, uh, I was reading some of your posts before we got on the podcast because obviously I researched you uh, more, uh, even though we already knew each other. But this is totally a preference thing. I do it. Mm -hmm. I've read other people that do it, but rules are meant to be broken. I'll say that before I, I say it. But I'm personally a fan of shorter paragraphs just because they're yeah. easier to digest and um, especially when it comes to things like email. But I've also took that up in my in my blogs as well. And whether or not it works or it's not the right way, there's always a million different ways. But I, I did notice that your paragraphs were a little bit long, but I mean, that's, if that's your style, you do you, I'm not a writing expert. So no, that's good feedback. Uh, you know, and paragraphs are easy to break up. So no, I appreciate it. I, I like feedback. And in fact, that's one regret is I don't get a lot of feedback on the blog. Occasionally, uh, usually people say nice things, but it's, it's always good to hear in a polite way, you know, suggestions that people have. And, um, yeah. And when you get criticism, I've always learned it's up to you whether you take it or not. You should always <laughs> receive it kindly unless somebody's being outright rude uh, because uh, you may well learn for it. And, you know, it's up to you whether to take it or not. And I think I'll take that one to heart. I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. <laughs> All right. So so we were having a conversation about just how long it actually takes to get profitable and actually yeah. make income and, and the learning curve that it comes from blogging. Because in an it really is a great opportunity to be able to connect with. It's not just about being able to possibly make an income through your blog, but also yeah. I've met so many amazing people. We met through my blog. I've met so many great people who just uh, read a post I've written and it just, it's a great community uh, builder and great for making friends and like-minded people and all that kind of good stuff. But if, it, if you are interested, I can kind of share real quick a super high overview of my experience of blogging for the past three years and how long it's taken me to get traction for stuff. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Uh, and I think others would benefit. And I, I have to say before you start that uh, you've done a fantastic job building a community. Your Make Money in RV Facebook group is great and people get a lot of value out of it. I've gotten a lot of value out of it. So um, yeah, it's a very worthy goal for a blog and I think well worthwhile. Oh, I appreciate the uh, nice promotion there. Um, so, okay. So I started, I, I blogged before 2014, but that's when I started teethpadget.com when we kicked out Hourly America. And during that year, uh, we traveled to 48 states and I wrote uh, our sponsorship agreement. It said that I had to write a guest blog for every job that I did. 
and I posted those on snagajob.com. So when I'd go work an hourly job in a different state, I'd write a blog about that. So this is not including those jobs. So I ended up writing a bunch of those posts. But on my personal site, I published 63 blogs. During that year, I only had uh, 10,000 people visit my site and 23,000 views. So not a ton for 63 blogs. If you think of each blog being anywhere from uh, one to three hours. And now I actually spend a lot longer writing posts than I did before. That's a lot of time for not making any money from it. And a lot of those spikes came from various news articles that went out. So year two, 2015, I only published 39 blogs, but I published a free course on how to travel on two grand a month. And I did a really strategic guest posting series in the fall where I reached out a bunch of relevant RV blogs uh, because I noticed that after we got back from Hourly America, I shared some of the costs from our traveling. Um, people were interested in that, how much it costs to travel in an RV. Uh, and people were just interested generically about living in an RV. And so uh, I kind of shared everything that we did to travel as cheaply as we could because we had to. And so a lot of people really got a lot of value out of that. And so posting on a lot of those sites definitely helped just get more traffic and momentum to my blog. And so last year, it was 75,000 views, 46,000 visitors. And then this year in January, I kicked out the uh, RV Entrepreneur podcast and I've already published 37 posts. Holy crap. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I published 37 blogs already this year on my website, posts. My goal is 100, and I've gotten 93,000 visitors and 153,000 views. Um, so I've literally doubled, already doubled this year in the first six months what I've done in the past two years. And, and so that's not huge for most blogs or even most websites. It's like a little over 30,000 views a month, but it's actually tripled since October I'm November. It's tripled in, in views and visitors. And I say all that to say just it takes time. You know, it takes yeah. time to build up an audience and to gain any type of momentum and affiliate income. My affiliate income on my blog is just now getting a little over $300 a month. And I'm getting some sponsorships from the pot for the, for this podcast and for the blog and things like that. We're working with Winnebago, but I mean, it's taken several years of not making any income and having to do a lot of work on the side. And so yeah. it's definitely a labor of love for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed, I mean, I have a Amazon affiliate and I would say about 30% of my posts, if that, have a link. We've got a banner on the website. And I think in the first month, I also gave the link to some people I know <laughs> said, hey, use this Amazon link occasionally, right? You know, but and uh, so it's a little hard to tell which of the traffic comes from the blog and which comes from people I know who are using the link for me. But uh, I would say in the first month we made, uh, you know, $5 or something like that. And then we didn't make any in the second month and didn't make any in the third month. And then we made 10. It's starting to pick up after six, eight months. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm not making a living at it. But now every month I do make some money off the affiliate link. So I can see it starting to grow um, despite in some ways my best efforts not to promote it very heavily. Uh, so, so that's nice. Uh, although, like I said, a lot of our traffic seems to be coming from Google searches. Um, I don't, do you get most of your traffic through, uh, links through other websites and other blogs or through no, search? No, it's, it's, on, it's probably 80% through Google, if okay, not more. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's about what we do. Maybe, maybe a little bit more. If than you that. search, yeah. if you search living in an RV, I'm, I'm the thing that you see. So people who are yeah. just like, oh, I'm interested in living in an RV. Yeah. And I think that works. Right. And I had read, uh, or I'd heard on your blog, um, somebody talking about making money and they mentioned pillar content. And I'm starting to experience that because we, I would say we have like, I have, Lord help me, in, uh, hundred, in, in eight months, I've got about 170, 180 posts on the blog now, right? I'm just wow. cranking them out. Yeah, oh my I, gosh. I, I'm blessed with being able to write very quickly, which is nice. So I can crank out blog articles in, in a pretty, I don't know, pretty short time period. So it's not too hard. But yeah, that's a lot. But 
I would say, you know, three to five articles have 95% of the traffic for people reading my blog. I'd say that's uh, you know, normal. Yeah, and, and I, that's something I'm learning, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, so there's going to be things where you hit the topic that a lot of people want to find and read about. And, and then I'm trying to nurture those posts, like keep them as, as relevant as possible and tweak them from time to time, make them a little better, and, uh, and learning what's in these that people really want to hear and, and then write more posts like that. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting lesson I've learned in the last month or so, the yeah. concept of pillar content. Yeah, looking at some of my posts that have, that have done well, it's kind because of, I've done the same thing, go back and see, okay, what was good about these and how can I expand on them? How can I link up to them and other posts? So it's driving traffic even from the smaller posts to the bigger ones because people like it so much. And also, how can I link from the most popular posts to some of the less popular ones and start getting more traffic to those so people are circulating right. around the blog? And this is super technical. I don't really know how many people care about this, but it's interesting to us so we can talk about it. Sure. Because um, we're the ones recording the podcast. Yep. But yeah, so looking at those for me, it's like the ones that are most personal, most helpful informative but i also it's hard to also know which ones are going to be uber popular yeah you don't know until they start coming yeah and sometimes it takes google several months to pick up pick them up and say like you're actually getting traffic from these posts like i wrote a post recently called 10 business ideas for full-time RVers," and i'm like nobody in there nobody's going to research that no one's going to google that but it's a relevant post to my audience so i'm going to write it oh yeah i i went and read that one right away Oh, you did? There, you there's like... something about a top 10 list that just makes you want to read it. So <laughs> I agree. I got to yeah. have more of those. Sometimes I feel shameful using that to my advantage. But if it's what people want to read, then write it, you know, um, and, and if you like writing it, you know. So. I, think, I think it's a fine line between having those articles that are uh, clickable and things like that, but also having ones that are real and you know that oh, yeah. aren't ever going to be picked up by Google. Like I went on your website and I was reading your six month check in and it's real yeah. and it's honest and it makes me connect with you. Uh, and then I saw that you have some other posts that are, uh, that are listicle, you know, have lists on there and, or that talk about good Sam or password America or whatever. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, I'm not really interested. I know all that's, I know a lot of that yeah. right now. So a lot of that's super helpful to people, but I, I enjoy the ones that where you get to connect with people, but for people to find you in the very beginning, you need that content. You do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've taken a shotgun approach with my blog. A lot of experts will say, find a niche, you know, milk that niche. And I think that's a good idea. And I may do that later. But for now, I'm enjoying and getting benefit from throwing it all out there, finding out what sticks and finding out what I like to write about and, and what interests me. So after a little while, uh, Anna and I kind of divided up the work. She is most motivated to write about the places we go to. And I, we were both writing about the places we go to, and she would run out of articles to write. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll step back. You write all the articles having to do with the locations we visit, and you can hone your craft at kind of that classic travel writing. And I will go research topics and try to write about uh, personal things, which you know, I'll just write about anyway, and then uh, you know, RV tips and, and stuff of that nature, you know, help articles. Yeah. I was very proud. You know, it hasn't gotten much attention, but I was very proud. I did a, an article on RV electrical systems, right? And I really wanted to learn, uh, you know, what's AC and DC and how does it work and what are voltages mean and how do you calculate them and on and on. Like, I was ignorant of that topic. So I dove in, did a ton of research and tried to write 
uh, for me, challenging, a concise article <laughs> that conveys as much of that information as possible while still being light enough to be a little entertaining and, and keep people moving along. And I was very proud of that. I didn't expect a lot of people to go because if you're really interested, you may already know it. But um, I was happy with it. I'm going to take that one and I'm going to airstreamify it since that, like I said, <laughs> seems to be how we get more Google hits. So I'll, I'll do that to that one. But I was real proud of that article. And even if it doesn't do well, I'm happy to have it out there because I learned a lot. And some other people might learn a thing or two, and uh, it was just great practice. And uh, I kind of see the blog as a, as a repository of information. And later on, if I want to write a book about RVing or, uh, you know, or a free thing to get email addresses to sell other things, then I want to provide useful information. So I'm building a catalog of research and information that I can draw on to, to put into other forms. So I figure it'll be worthwhile. Absolutely. And I can tell you that you're you're doing it correctly. I mean, there is all that information that says find a niche, stick to the niche, provide value, all this good stuff. And that's great. And it's true. But at the same time, from person, you know, we can only provide ex advice from personal experience and say, hey, this worked for me. There's no chance that it'll I mean, there's no guarantee that it'll actually work for you. There is a right. chance, but there's no guarantee. And so I can say that, you know, if for us, it was really just throwing caution in the wind and putting yourself out there and seeing what happens. And, you know, some people like what you have to say, some people might not. But I think if yeah. you do treat it as an experiment and a chance to grow and learn maybe electrical systems or something crazy like that, then you can't really lose because at the end of the day, you grow from it. And I think that yeah. is, uh, I think you and I both have that in common that, you know, looking at the RVing experience as a whole and going out on the road it's not necessarily about uh, quote unquote success or failure. It's more or less about, uh, you know, this constant attitude of I'm going to learn and keep growing and, and yeah. figure out what that looks like. Yeah. And, I, you know, I tell you, when you when you live this lifestyle and then I imagine you feel the same way, uh, you know, you do get a little bit of evangelical uh, fire in the belly. You're kind of like, oh, I want other people to feel this good. Uh, you know, I want other people to be this happy. And the only hesitation I have is maybe it's not right for everybody. Maybe some people would be miserable living in a small trailer and not having a lot of stuff and, and uh, being, you know, and going from place to place. But man, I love it. And so <laughs> I, I, what I try to tell people who are thinking about it is, boy, if you want to do it, like if in your heart you think you want to do it, at least try it, give it a go, like, you know, jump on it. Right. <laughs> like, cause man, it, it can pay off wonderfully. It can be just fantastic. And, uh, you know, the worst thing that happens is uh, you find you don't like it or you fail and then you go back to something else. But, um, boy, if you, if you deny yourself the opportunity, if you, if you don't give it a try, uh, you're missing out. I, I feel bad for you. So I agree. Well, we're, we're running a little bit long, yep. Sig. So uh, this is a question I ask every episode. But what does success look like to you in this lifestyle? Success is being free to go wherever I want and live wherever I like and not feel insecure uh, about my finances. So I, I want to be able to deal with emergencies and take care of myself and my wife. Um, but uh, I don't need luxury. I didn't need fancy things. I just want liberty and freedom to be myself, be creative, and experience the world. I love that. God bless America. I feel like I just need yeah. to say that after, after that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, thanks so much. I, for What is it? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, and that's the other thing is I never really got to experience the country in its, its full glory, and I still haven't seen it all yet. I've only seen maybe a third now, but uh, it, it's, it's an amazing place to get out and experience firsthand. It's just – it's incredible. I'm so glad I did it. Tell us again where we can find you. 
uh, at trailandhitch.com. Uh, so just www.trailandhitch.com or search for Trail and Hitch travel blog and you'll probably find us. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show, Sig. Thank you very much, Heath. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you want to check out the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathpaget.com forward slash episode 21. That's episode spelled out in the number 21 to go say hello to Sig at trailandhitch.com and all the stuff that we mentioned on the podcast today. Links and everything will be on there. On the next episode of the podcast, I'm talking with another solo female traveler. One big question that I've seen got a get brought up a lot in online forums and Facebook groups has been on the topic of solo female travelers. Is it safe? How do I take precautionary measures when I'm out there on the road by myself? And in one of the recent episodes I did was with Jill Sessa, who runs a WordPress business from the road. And while we touched on the subject of safety, uh, I got some feedback from a listener that most of the conversation was steered more towards her business, which is totally true. I do have a tendency to do that. So on the next episode, I brought on a woman named Kate Mullen to talk about her cross-country travels in her Winnebago Travada and how she works with clients on the road and most importantly, stays safe. In the next episode, there's much more actionable advice for solo female RVers on how to find safe places to camp, how you can stay connected with your family and friends while you're on the road, and even apps that you can download to help keep you safe. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.